At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome to Infertility and Me podcast, a show that amplifies diverse stories about the struggles of infertility and fertility in a safe space. Our goal is to normalize fertility stories that validate, give hope, and create a community where no one is left silently suffering. You guys, welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of Infertility and Me podcast. I'm your host, Monique Farouk, your infertility bestie, women's health and infertility advocate. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for letting me be a part of your day. Hope that you are well and in good spirits and moving into the late summer, fall season in a good place. And if not, I'm sending you all the good vibes and energy. Make sure you guys are following on Instagram at Infertility and Me Podcast. So today our guest is Danielle Faith. She is an endometriosis survivor. She also has PCOS and ovulatory dysfunction. She shares in this episode her six embryo transfers before finally welcoming her baby girl. Danielle created and published books as well to help others with the unthinkable struggles of infertility and loss, which you can find on Amazon. She also has been organizing a group of IVF warriors to encourage and uplift those going through infertility and loss. And she also created a infertility survivor's kit, which she delivers by hand to her former fertility clinic, which I thought was really, really cool, taking it back to her clinic and having them put it out there for other people struggling. And so we'll be back in just a second, you guys, with Danielle. And we're back, you guys, with our girl, Danielle. Thank you, Danielle, for coming on the show and telling your story so bravely and boldly. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. So how did you and hubby meet? How did that happen? Yeah, so actually it happened a very, very long time ago. Uh, In 2005, my husband and I met at my senior prom. He was there as a guest to his cousin that went to school with me. And I was just there with some friends. I did not have a date. Twerked out. And so it kind of started there and we started dating, you know, really soon after. Yeah. So it's been a long journey. So you were diagnosed with endometriosis and PCOS. Was that before you guys started trying to conceive or was that during the midst of it all? So actually, I struggled pretty much ever since my first period with symptoms of endometriosis. I spoke up a lot throughout my teenage years. I missed a lot of events and played sports. I missed a lot of, you know, games because of the struggles that I was going through, but no one would really listen to me. I moved to St. Louis, Missouri in 2011. And they actually had a specialist out here for endometriosis. And the OB I had seen for the first time out here had suggested him to me. And so I went and saw him and, you know, he's like, you have everything that is endometriosis. So let's check it out. And in order to be officially diagnosed with endometriosis, 
you have to have a laparoscopy, so just surgical procedure. And so I, I did have a laparoscopy in 2015, finally, after many, many years. And I was diagnosed officially. The doctor had told me, I would suggest that if you're going to try and have kids, that you start trying within the next six months because endometriosis is a disease that does not go away. It will consistently come back. No matter how many surgeries you have, it will always be there. I went back to my OB and I said, I need help. Tell me what I got to do in order to start trying to conceive. And she basically told me, I can't help you until you have shown me or have seen me for over a year proving that you have tried to get pregnant, meaning, I don't know, temperature checks and ovulation tests. And I mean, like I said, my boyfriend at the time and I had been together 10 years by the time that this happened. And in my head, I'm like, you know, mm -mm, nope, not right. I really advocated for myself and I said, I want a child and I believe it's my calling as to be a mother. So I need to do what I feel like I need to do in order to make this happen. I went ahead and I called a fertility clinic in the area. At the time, I had called Vios Fertility Institute and they told me I did need a referral. So they referred me to a different doctor who then immediately was like, I saw your endometriosis diagnosis. I saw all of the paperwork on you. Let's go ahead and run a fertility thing on you. So they did all my blood work. They did my husband's information. Immediately when we got all that back, she said, nope, I need you to go see a fertility specialist. And I'm glad that you called me when you did. And let's get this done. So she referred me to Dr. Amber Cooper, which is my doctor now, and the rest is really history. Then is when I found out after speaking with my doctor and uh, checking out my levels that I did have PCOS or signs of it, and I also was not ovulating monthly or at the right times of my cycle. So she diagnosed me with ovulatory dysfunction. Which is real common when you do have a PCOS. Yeah, it's not predictable at all. Yeah, that's what I've been told too. That's a long road to getting what would seem like should should have been an easy diagnosis. I just don't understand, man. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you got to advocate for yourself. If you feel like something is just not right, you got to stand up for for what you believe in and do what you think is best because sometimes people won't listen to you, you know? And sometimes doctors aren't as educated as what you think they should be when it comes to these types of things. So, if you don't you know, get right with one doctor, sorry, move on to the next. What was the next step then after you got all of your diagnoses and you knew exactly what was happening? Did they put you on any kind of treatment plan for your PCOS? And then did you have surgery for the endometriosis at this point? Yeah. So I had already had the surgery to like be diagnosed and have some of the endometriosis removed. I did go ahead and we did a couple of timed intercourse treatments just kind of because At that point in our lives, we weren't, I mean, we were young, you know, we were just starting out really on our own and we had horrible insurance. Nothing was covered. Timed intercourse was kind of for me, okay, I was diagnosed with ovulatory dysfunction. So maybe this can be our solution because basically they give you medication and then you take a shot, makes you ovulate. And that's when you have intercourse. 
and hoping that they'll ovulate the way that they want you to, then maybe you'll get pregnant. And for that, for us, that was the the cheapest option. I think it was maybe $300 for the shot to make me ovulate. And so we did that a couple of times just because, one, infertility treatments are really expensive. And I live in a state that does not mandate fertility insurance. I think that it was just kind of like, okay, let's try it, see what happens. Because, I mean, why would it take more? So we did that a couple of times. And then we ended up going into insemination. Insemination I did twice before I went to my doctor and I said, nope, I can't do this anymore. We need to find a real solution. And when I sat in that office with her, the look on her face was like a sense of relief. I was thinking the same exact thing two cycles ago, but I didn't want to force the amount of money on you. Let's go to IVF. At that point, it had been, I don't know, three years. Cycles take a long time. Um, There's a lot of waiting. There's a lot of procedures in between. I've had procedures to make sure my tubes were open. I had Procedures to make sure that my progesterone levels were, you know, normal. Started IVF two years ago, and we went through our first cycle and had, we had ended up having four embryos from our first cycle. I ended up miscarrying our very first one, which was kind of unreal because, you know, you go through IVF and doesn't guarantee pregnancy, but my first one, I got pregnant. So it was like kind of a dream, I guess you can say. But then once those lines started to fade, it was kind of a nightmare. And yeah, like a smack in the face after all that you had been through. That's what it feels like, I think. Yeah. That was the first time that we had seen those lines together. And it was exciting. And it was Christmas. And we announced to my grandma that we were pregnant. And you know, we went to his his mother's house and we announced to her and I have the best video ever of her being so excited for us. It was just so unreal. And then the pain of having to go back and tell everyone, sorry, we're not pregnant, kind of sucked. You said a slap in the face and it it was this feeling that was unimaginable. I do not wish that on anybody. Mm-hmm. It was extremely hard. And but we kept going. And so we ended up having three more transfers after that. Each one of them failed. So we went ahead and did another round of IVF, which Mm -hmm. cost money. (laughs) And at this point, he did have some fertility insurance. He worked for a company that was extremely pro-life. They allowed me to be on their insurance, even though we weren't married, which was awesome. They accepted all LGBTQ. I just had to prove, I think, that we had lived together for a certain amount of time, that we were on each other's life insurance policies. And I think that there was one more thing that we had to prove. And I was able to get covered. I mean, they didn't cover 100%, but they did cover what they covered for up to three IVF cycles, which is amazing. That's amazing. I know that a lot of people don't get that. And so that makes me extremely grateful for that company. We would not be where we are today without that. Our second round of IVF, I ended up developing um, ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. And I had fluid around my lungs. 
and I was in the emergency room and then ended up being admitted into the hospital because of this and then ended up having to do one of the most painful procedures in my life. It was called a fluid tap. And they have heard of that. Okay. Oh, I never wanted to think we should give up. There's that was never something that I wanted to think. But after that happened, and I just kept thinking to myself, am I not meant to have this? You know, Mm -hmm. like, is my body not made for this? Like, I am, you know, a woman, Mm -hmm. I'm supposed Mm -hmm. to be able to do this. That was hard. We had three embryos that round of IVF. Our first one, we miscarried again, November of 2020. December of 2020, my doctor came to me and said, what do you want to do? You have two more embryos. Do you want to go ahead or do you want to take a break? And I said, my insurance, like everything starts back over January 1st. I have to do something. After that, I was like, I don't know what we're going to do because it just, the cost is just killing us. I ended up getting pregnant with my baby girl. She stuck and she stayed. And now she's a healthy, almost nine months on the fourth old baby girl. Do have one embryo left, but I was told to never have children again myself because my pregnancy was also extremely hard. I had hyperemesis gravardium, which is an extreme sickness, say morning sickness, the beginning of pregnancy. I was sick the entire pregnancy. I was in and out of the hospital. And then I developed HELP syndrome. At 35 weeks, I ended up having to deliver emergency C-section because my liver was failing. She was a preterm baby, and it could have turned out a lot worse for both of us. But thank goodness my doctors listened to me when they did, and we're both healthy today. So I don't know that I'm going to be doing that again, (laughs) which is hard too. Secondary infertility is just as hard. You guys have truly been on an uphill battle (laughs) to to be able to sustain and actually get some normalcy back because you were doing a lot of this during the middle of COVID, right? Oh my gosh, yes. That's a whole horror story by itself. So did any of your transfers and any of your cycles get postponed or paused during COVID lockdowns? Our clinic was, they were extremely cautious. And that was what, that was a fear. I mean, I remember when we shut down and I remember I was in the middle of starting a cycle and I remember sitting in my bathroom just crying. Everything's going to get canceled. I am never going to become a mom. Like, I'm like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen to me. And at that time, it was like, there was so much unknown. My my clinic was extremely cautious, but they didn't take much of a pause. I think that there was a little bit. I was blessed, for sure. They stopped allowing people to come in with patients. So I did the rest of my transfers. I think I did three transfers, procedures, second IVF retrieval, all by myself. I could not, my husband wasn't allowed there at all. He sat outside and waited for me. But that's a hard thing, too, to go through those procedures and not have your partner with you. And I am blessed because I know a lot of places paused and stopped procedures from happening during COVID. But they were not connected to a hospital. I think that that, that kind of helped yeah, because a lot of the, the hospitals yep, mm-hmm, locked down. Danielle, girl, how did you get through all this emotional trauma? Did you get help at any point or did you kind of like self-soothe in a way? Yeah, I will say that a lot of it was self-soothing. With my husband's insurance, I did have a counselor type of thing that would randomly call me to check in with me. 
but it was like maybe a, you know, a 15 minute conversation, which is still great. You know, you're able to vent to somebody that may have a little bit more understanding of what you're going through. COVID made that really hard. Even speaking to family in general is hard because they don't necessarily, I always say this, like you don't understand what someone else is going through until you've been through it yourself. And it's really hard to talk to people and have them understand your emotions when they've never been through it. And I actually remember, I don't remember what cycle it was, but I had a really close friend of mine get pregnant. They didn't tell me. And I found out through somebody else. And that kind of like hit me a little bit harder. And I don't know if they didn't tell me because, you know, she's going through treatment. Maybe it'll hurt her feelings. But for me, I felt like, you know, come to me, talk to me, you know, like, just let me know before I see it you know, a thing online or someone else tells me. And I remember talking to a friend, I was so upset. And I was like, you know, I'm angry, like, I want to be happy, but I'm so angry. And I just don't even want to see anything about it. And that's such a valid feeling. When you're going through these treatments and going to multiple doctor's appointments, taking all these shots that are already like super draining. The response that I got was, girl, you need help. And I'm like, I probably do. You're right. I probably do. That wasn't like, I don't know. I felt like I just needed to be heard at that point. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You needed that validation. It's the validation that you wanted. Yeah. Yeah. And I just remember getting off the phone and like bawling in my car, like, why is it that nobody understands me? You know, why can't I find somebody that just understands what I'm going through? And I found a lot of solace in watching YouTube videos. I found that watching other people's journeys, I mean, you get on YouTube, there's retrievals, there's transfer stories, there's people talking about, you know, how to do shots, what they did to help them get through these certain situations. And it just made me feel so good to see someone else going through it. I think that that was a big help. I think that also having my husband with me through it, even though there were some arguments because I don't think he really understood because Mm -hmm. I'm the one that's Mm -hmm. going through all the treatments and I'm the one that's going to the doctor's appointments and I'm the one that's getting pricked. Even though he's going through it with me, it's just a different emotional effect of the whole thing. It was nice Mm -hmm. to have him, but like I think it was the YouTube videos that helped get me through because I want to be able to tell my story and to make someone feel like they are not alone. And that's admirable because you could just go on about your life now that you have your miracle baby and forget it all and be like, (laughs) done with that part of my life. Adios. Peace out, okay? We sat down and my husband's private. He's very private about what we went through. And that's fine. Everyone has their own way of grieving. Everyone has their own way of, you know, coming to terms with things, their stories. Everyone advocates for something different in their lives. You know, I'm okay with that. I think infertility made me who I am. I would not be as strong and as vocal as I am today, without going through what I went through. And we went through it together in different ways. But I'm, I'm a completely different person than I was. Just like how you said, you know, in marriage, you change so often. This changed me 100%. 
stories and watching people weather the storm were so impactful for you because they can't, our spouses cannot be everything to us. They cannot be our counselors and do everything yep. else that they do for us. And so there's a place for everything. Yep. And what, which is why it's so important to not suffer in silence and not necessarily putting your story out there, but just searching for the hope, searching for the inspiration and getting, gaining strength from connecting with other people. And so you have created some Facebook groups as well as some book series, journaling type series to help those struggling. And they're very affordable, which I love because we are paying yeah. a down payment yeah. for these babies before they even get to college yeah. and stuff. <laughs> so tell us about how you came up with the ideas for your series of books and then why you started your Facebook group. After my daughter was born, to be honest, I was thinking of different ways to afford college, kind of like what you just said. And I'm like, I'm in debt because I wanted to create her. And, but I still want to give her everything that I could imagine that I, one, didn't have, you know, like every parent would want to do. Me and my husband were just talking randomly and what a lot of people do when they're stressed out. And that's a new thing, the adult coloring books. That would be really awesome for IVF. When you're going through a two-week wait, there's so much stress and so much anxiety. Like to be able to just sit down and just still think about what you're going through, but have a release. And art is one of my releases. And so I just started thinking about it and I started doing some research and there are some, you know, out there. And so I was like, you know what, I would love to create something like this in honor of my daughter, in honor of what I went through. I put something together and I figured out Amazon Kindle and I was able to get them published. So I self-published a coloring book for the two-week wait, two-week wait journal. I have a IVF planner on there, as well as just a notebook. I think it's really important to write things down. And I wish that I did more of that through my journey so that I had something that I can show my daughter about how wanted she was, even when I'm gone, to be able to look back and be like, mom went through this for me. Oh my goodness. So I went ahead and I did that. And I have donated some to my fertility clinic for people that are going through their two-week wait. I have also started my Facebook page called Making a Miracle. I Right now, I'm kind of just, you know, wanting to spread awareness, wanting other people to join me in some of the things that I'm doing. And so to close out, Danielle, if there's a last word that you would give to those still in the midst of everything in the community, I'll give the floor back to you. I guess I would just say a couple of things. One would be that you're not alone. There's so many people out there that all of our stories might be a little different, but the journey has so many similarities. And I think that it's so important for us to stick together and be there for one another. The other thing I would say is self-care. Take care of yourself. It is really hard to when you're so focused on, you know, your cycle and what shots to take and what medications you're supposed to be, you know, administering that day that you just kind of take care of yourself. Go get a massage, get your nails done, or even as small as going on a walk, kind of taking a breath and understanding that, yes, it's hard. And I can't say that everyone will have the end that they wish they had from the beginning. 
But I honestly think that everyone can find their rainbow in their journey, whether that's a rainbow baby or finding resolve and knowing that it might not just work out. But being okay with that. I think that it's just really important to uh, focus on yourself. I always hated that you'll get through it and, you know, you'll have your happy ending, but, you know, not everyone's endings are happy, but you can find solace in knowing that, you know, whatever happens will be okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you for those reminders, Danielle. Appreciate you. you. And absolutely, you're going to feel sad (laughs) for much of this, but it it won't always feel this way. It definitely will not. And so I appreciate you for reminding us of those small details, especially like going on walks. That was big for me when I was still deep, deep, deep in in the midst of everything. So, and so is there any handles online that you would like to share for us to connect with you? I'm on Instagram and on Facebook and my tag is at making, M-A-K-I-N-G, a miracle, M-I-R-A-C-L-E, eight, four, two, one, in honor of my baby. Wonderful. Wonderful. And so we appreciate you, Danielle, for being here with us and giving us your time this morning. We're on two different time zones. (laughs) I appreciate you. Um, You know, I found you during National Infertility Awareness Week, and I think I went through your entire page on Instagram, and I laughed and I cried probably at some point, but I thank you for being one of those people that has been really spreading awareness and giving people hope and something to smile about because you're pretty hilarious. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. Yeah, that's awesome it. that you're able to do that. You know, it was it was a hard road. It was a very hard road to get to this point, but it's well worth it. And much of it was created while I was still in the midst of healing. Uh, my son just turned five, but I didn't go to therapy either. And so yeah. it just has been a long ride to healing and still there's still yep. struggles. You know, this stuff doesn't leave you. You've learned how to live with it and you do heal, but there's still some remnants that we we're always working to work through. And- still some triggers there, you know, but we do what we can. We do what we can to move through it. And we thank you, friends, for tuning in to another episode of Infertility and Me podcast. You guys know where to find me on Instagram and we'll be together again a week after next. So peace and blessings. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.